Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How you doing today, Jay? I got to tell you, Michael, I am really excited about today's show. Yeah, I mean, just so you guys know, the way we record this, we already know how great the show went because <laughs> we record this little segment after we record our That's interview right. with our guest. So yes, this is going to be a not miss yeah. um, episode. But yeah. before we get into that, That's right. just a real quick shout out. Thank you so much to HypeBot and you, Bands Bruce. in Town for everything you guys do to continue to spread the word for the Music Biz Weekly podcast. And of course, our sponsors, Bandzoogle.com, built for musicians, Scratch that, pack it up. <laughs> I knew Bill, you... it, 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 it's, it's an old take from uh, Willy Wonka there. Scratch That's right. That. Yeah. Reverse it. <laughs> Reverse it. Built by musicians for musicians. That's it. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Bandzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music, and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, of course, social media integrations, and amazing live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. So we put together a cool little offer for our listeners. Music Biz Weekly podcast listeners, head over to bandzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days. And when you register, use the promo code, all one word now, Music Biz Weekly, promo code Music Biz Weekly, and you will get 15% off your first year of any subscription. And of course, discmakers.com. We all know it's a digital world, but they're still an important role for physical media for today's independent musician. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts online and at gigs has become an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig or online, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and you will save up to $150 in shipping costs on that order. So again, head over to discmakers.com, promo code FREEBIZ, and you could save up to 150 bucks on your order of CDs. So this week's guest, Evan, Seinf Evan Seinfeld from, from Biohazard. Uh, you know, he, he's known for that, but let me tell you some amazing insights and discussions about the music industry 
and the adult industry, because Evan and I crossed paths when we were both in the adult business. And I don't know, a lot of people may not know that, but I spent a few years working in the adult industry. Um, just a great discussion, man. Yeah. He is, you know, a businessman. He's a rocker. He's an actor. Uh, he's done it all, but he's very articulate, very intelligent, and has some amazing insights. Um, we could speak with him for hours. In fact, we ran out of time. We so ran out of time, and we're bringing one. him back. So just know yeah. that. If you feel like you were left hanging, we felt the same way, and he's coming yeah. back. We're going to bring him back for a good hour conversation in, in, yeah. in a couple weeks as well. So yeah. let it roll. Evan Seinfeld. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. So, Music Biz Weekly podcast listeners and viewers, for those of you on YouTube, we are really honored to have Evan Seinfeld join us today. Now, Evan, you might know him, you should know him, lead singer, bassist, founder of a little band called Biohazard. 24 years you were with Biohazard, right? Yeah, it was a lifetime. Lifetime. Wow. <laughs> and of course, you've done a few other things besides that, but from the music side of things, that's where people will probably first know you. And live to tell. Or not tell. Yeah. It, hey, guys, uh, thanks for having me on, on yeah. the podcast. Yeah, Biohazard was an incredible journey, uh, almost a quarter of a century, probably 25 years in its early inception counted, but, you know, I was a kid from Canarsie in Brooklyn who lived in Flatbush. Uh, and I loved metal and rock. And, you know, I grew up on, you know, the Beatles, the Doors, Jimi Hendrix, the Stones, the Who, Led Zeppelin, Enter Black Sabbath, changed my life. You know, I become a riffologist and never intended on being a singer, although I always wanted to be like a rock star. My my intention. It happens to us all the time, Evan. It happens all the it. time. Yeah. Every show. Good. So, uh, so um, I started playing in you know bands as a kid, and early on, guys, knock it off. I have a small zoo here. We do too. Um, I started off just wanting to be a bass player, and I heard Geezer Butler and Steve Harris and Geddy Lee and just, you know, even bands like, you know, Ian Hill of Judas Priest, like, or, you know, bands like ACDC where, like, the bass wasn't, like, the standout instrument. I always thought of it as, like, like it was the oil, like it was the grease that put the whole thing together. Like, you couldn't fry it without it. Yeah. Like, like the bass, it's the left hand, the piano, but it also, like, it it was the it was the the foundation that linked the drums to like the beat to the riffs, the groove. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was always really into that. And growing up in Brooklyn, I loved disco and early hip hop and house music. Like I always loved anything that was like funky, which is was my guilty pleasure. Like I'd be with my long hair and my tattoos and the band all practice and gigs. And then on, you know, Thursday night, I was at the fucking like dance club in Manhattan, you know, 
hanging out with like people from like fashion and models and like you know really eccentric like interesting like new york socialites and listening to this other music but it, it's no coincidence my fascination even with metal and rock was to move people and to make people dance and i think that's kind of what biohazard was known for was kind of our fusion between like heavy metal and hardcore and hip-hop um and a lot that was really organic for us because a lot of us loved rap and hip-hop and our early management was russell simmons and leo cohen from def jam who worked with run dmc and every mm -hmm. big rap group you ever heard of you know they worked with eric b and rakim and big daddy kane and sure uh you know i actually reached out to d from run dmc the other day about a another music project that I'm going to talk to you about later on. But uh, yeah, Biohazard, you know, we got signed to it early to an indie label and then to Warner Brothers. And we went on to sell uh, close to 5 million worldwide albums. And, you know, in the 90s, we played about 300 shows a year. When we look back at the average, it was wow. really like the James Brown of heavy metal. You know, we, we always felt like the unsung heroes that, you know, we never had the commercial hit. We never had like the number one album or anything, but we did open up for Pantera for 265 shows. Wow. We did open up for Slayer for hundreds of shows. And, you know, we were that band that we could, you could put us live in front of anybody. And even if people didn't know our music, we would fucking beat it out of people. We would be like, you don't know our music. You don't know us. You don't even like us. By the end of this set, you're going to be, in the mosh pit you're gonna be bloody and you're gonna thank me <laughs> you know and we, we we probably toured more in europe and south america you know we got to play amazing shows in my career we played like highlights like the monsters of rock in sao paulo brazil huge with, with i you know hundred and thirty thousand people with iron maiden motorhead biohazard sepultura skid row like Shit like that. Um, you know, we got to play at Donington with Kiss and Ozzy and, you know, a bunch Those of legendary you know, shows. Man. Groups of our peers. We toured with Metallica, uh, like an extensive summertime festival tour. And we got to play on festivals with, like, we always played with the bands from our genre of music. We always got to play with the Agnostic Fronts and the, the sick of it alls and bands like that. But we kind of transcended that scene early on and, you know, we're out playing with like metal bands and drawing a little bit of a different crowd. And, you know, it, it was really, it was a great experience. I learned a lot about people and music and the world and traveling and food. It was my, it was my university, you know, uh, it was like 1989 and I'd never been, outside of America and by 1990 I, I had to get a new passport because it was full you know wow and a lot of the shows were little squats and youth hostels and punk rock clubs and you know illegal you know gatherings with you know 50 to 100 or 200 people and then that slowly became you know 800 people a night in clubs that were sold out and small theaters and biohazard got to the point where like in europe 
you know, we would play on a Tuesday night in Stuttgart, Germany and be thousands of people. We had a really great career. It's funny because United States, it's very hard for underground music to ever really get commercially big because of the, you know, the, the corporate nature of the, the link between the big venues and the live nations. Uh, hold on a second. I got to ask my wife to stop rearranging. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, guys. I want to stay happily married. Any, happy, happy wife, happy life, right? Henry, if you're watching this, I adore you. I love there you go. <laughs> well played, sir. Yeah, and you know what? You change that calendar all you want. The world should know that we are moving and shaking together. We are a power entrepreneurial couple. Okay. Um, anyway, Biohazard, you know, we got to collaborate with a lot of great artists like Onyx, like Cypress Hill. You know, we got to play gigs like with people like David Bowie, and wow. Prodigy, Red Hot Chili Peppers, oh. uh, and Public Enemy, and the Sugar Hill Gang, and fuck, we even got to open for Blue Cheer one time. You know, uh, in like I don't know Salzburg, Austria, during some kind of skiing Olympic thing. Uh, and it was strange because those people did not know who Biohazard was. That's cool. You, you know, Evan, do you miss do you miss being on stage like that? You know, I think I'll always love performing and being on stage, but I don't know. The I I I I'm very torn when I see older guys out there still slugging it out. I feel like God bless their their passion and their drive. But at the same time, like, this is the only life that we get. And like, you know, there's a lot of things in life that I love, but I don't want to just do one thing, like one or two dimensionally, dimensionally for my whole life. And I honestly, had I not, you know, most of the things that transpired in, on my journey in my life were kind of, I, I don't want to say incidental, but everything in life is, you know, a, it's a series of events. Uh, yeah, for the music. Hold on a second, guys. We may stop it. Okay. Here we go. Uh, we have, I said, we have Sonos through the house, so we're going to change the vibe right now. <laughs> Um, but you know, the things that happened to me in my life that, you know, shaped the path of not just my career, but my life, you know, where, what happens, what happens to anybody's life, turns of events, you know, mm -hmm. um, like here's like a lesser known thing. You know, I, I, you know, you're Mike, you're going to, you're a great interviewer. So you're going to ask me later, how did I get on the HBO series Oz? And when I tell you how it, doesn't seem very calculated, but it ended up, you know, pushing me into a six year acting career. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I guess, you know, how I live my life philosophically is I just try to, you know, put out in the universe what I want to get back. And I try to keep my eyes open and recognize all the signs and all the possibilities and try to live my life in 
the possibility. And I, I think I, I, I got this young because when, when I was a teenager and I was telling my friends, yo, man, when I grow up, I'm going to be a fucking rock star. And they were like, no, you're not. We're all going to be, we're all going to be either, you know, we're all going to either be want to be wise guys or we're going to be firemen or we're going to be some other job you get here in Brooklyn. You know what right. I mean? You're going to be a, a this or you're going to be a that. And there's nothing wrong with being this or being that. But I, I, from early on, possessed the, I guess, now that I look back, I possessed a, a fire inside, like a self-belief that I could do something, could do anything. I could do anything if I applied myself to it. And not because I was so talented, because I was driven. You know, there were a lot of guys in my neighborhood who were better musicians than me. Just hands down, better players. You know, at least I thought so. And like when I was at the Battle of the Bands in, in you know, at John Wilson Junior High School, PS211, on, on East 100th Street in, in Canarsie, you know, I didn't think I was the, you know, the best one there or even one of the best, you know. There were some guys who were really good. I thought I can, I could put a band together around me with great guys that, that, and I can write songs and I can create my own thing. You know, when I used to listen to, to this day, when you listen to, you know, my favorite groups, the Beatles and the Stones, I marvel at the simplicity, but it's the, it's how they put it together. It's like the best recipe in the world, you know, uh, you know, your favorite pizza place. There's only four ingredients in that pizza. Right. It's not because they put the truffle this. No, it's because the, the relationship between the things. And that was kind of the charm of biohazard. We were kind of these really like four like really brutal primal instinct guys who, you know, were young and angry. And uh, I think kind of looking back like, lost and misguided and wanting to find our way in the world and willing to willing to slug it out you know right willing to we were all passionately willing to die for anything we were going to say or put in a song and the conviction that was that was it the charm of biohazard was was the authenticity of it and and then the you know the live show we were like you know we we sold a lot of albums but we were we were not i i don't look back and say wow we made some great albums that really changed the world important lyrics great really cohesive sound the band sounded like it you heard it go oh that's those guys like it or not like it but what we were good at was connecting with people live and we were often billed like as artists maybe above where our album sales might have been. You know, it would come to play that Dynamo Open Air Festival in the Netherlands. We, we used to play this every two years, right? And it started out small, like, not small, it started out with like 40 or 60,000 people in a field, and it grew to becoming like 200,000 people. And, you know, we would always get to play with 
even bands that we grew up friends with, like Typo Negative and, and Life of Agony, guys from our neighborhoods, we would never see these guys. We were on tour all year. Once a year, we'd see them at this festival. And sometimes we'd be playing above some band who sold more records than us because we kind of had the people. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Biohazard, that was a, a thing. You know, we wrote well, a lot of albums and we, we kept the lyrics very focused on, I think what was interesting about Biohazard from the onset was um, we came out of this New York hardcore scene. So like I had really long hair, but the other guys all looked like me with like shaved heads. And it was something people really hadn't seen. And there also weren't bands of guys where everybody was all tattooed. We were really young and that was pretty interesting. But I think above everything, we weren't singing about, as much as I'm a fan of like Dio and Rainbow and Dio with Sabbath and those type of magical, mystical lyrics that refer metaphorically through wizards and warlocks and dragons, you know, my, my lyrics were more like hip hop. They were like about what's going on in the subway in the street, you know, how we, how can we change the world and make it better? Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly uh, today, you know, Evan, yeah. let, let, let's um, switch music industry gears here and let's talk about your latest venture future stream. Okay. Um, what is it? And why, why do musicians listening need to use this? Okay, so Future Stream is, so um, I'm, I'm lucky to be partners in a platform called Future Stream. This is leveraging a bunch of technology that my partners um, have created, and we built a forward-facing platform for DJs, singers, bands, rappers, comedians, anybody who even speaks a spoken word type person or uh, a poet who would like to create a paywalled event and be able to monetize not just their art and their talent, but their social media. So um, the way it works is you come to futurestream.tv and you, or you email us artists at futurestream.tv and you say, hey, I am so-and-so, and I would like to create a profile on FutureStream to make money from live streaming. And uh, what's interesting is this plays off the business model, Mike, of my adult business, which we'll talk about later, but essentially the artists keep 80% of all the revenue. And it's not just tickets, but fans can contribute. And there's also a live chat between the fans and the artists. So we have guys like DJ Sneak or Roger Sanchez who are like Grammy winning, you know, house music DJs who've been in the game for 30 years. These guys go on with these curated shows, you know, DJ Sneak's house party every Friday. Like there's hundreds of people in there buying tickets and getting shout outs and the artists can really, especially with the pandemic, you know, we're not going to concerts. We're not going to shows. Guys like us, the three of us on this call, probably if, if I asked you two guys, tell me, you know, one of your top 10 highlights of your life, 
one of you guys is going to go, the time I was at the Kiss concert, yep. when we were recording 100%. Live 2, yep. and I felt these chills all over, and I looked over and I got my first kiss from a girl, or, you know, yep. I was with my best friends, you know, so... I'm, a, I'm surrounded by a lot of young people. Um, my wife is 20 years younger than me, and I have a son who's in the music business who actually works on FutureStream with me. He's the artist. Uh, he's like the A&R. He's like the artist uh, handler. He, you know, when we have rappers like um, Offset is coming up in September, or we've, we just had an event with uh, Baby, who had more number one hits last year than anybody, but essentially, we are a tool for artists um, to make money right away. An artist goes on, they create a profile, they create a flyer, and they upload it, just a square thing. And now they have a link to an event. It's that simple. So they, once they share that link on their Instagram, on their Twitter, on their Facebook, in an email blast, or tell their friends, or get a shout out from the Music Business Podcast, or tell their friends from Rolling Stone or Billboard or their friend who has a lot of followers on Instagram, hey, can you share my flyer for me? People are selling hundreds and hundreds of tickets. The artists are keeping the majority, a lion's share of the money. And the best part is that people are really engaging. The way we're talking on Zoom right here mm -hmm. or on Skype, mm -hmm. fans are going, Oh my God, I saw your concert right before the pandemic in Philadelphia at the whatever, at the 930 Club at the Knitting Factory, whatever, the, the Trocadero. And the artists are, the artists are literally like, you know, going, oh shit, uh, Jay Gilbert is in Los Angeles and he's saying that he saw me, he turns the music down. Jay, you saw me play in Philadelphia at the Trocadero. Yo, that was a great show. I'll bet you didn't know that we had a problem backstage because the cops came and they were trying to shut the concert down because the fire department said we were over capacity and that's why we went on late. Like, the artists are kind of letting people in, but yeah. literally, literally, they're doing shout outs for people. You know, they can smoke a joint with their fans. They can toast and drink. And we even have some split screen technology like this where uh, a DJ could bring in somebody who wants to dance or uh, a rapper could bring in some people that want to twerk and share this with their audience with thousands of people, you know, or hypothetically millions. So, um, you know, Mike, you and I uh, have led you know life that went around similar industries not just music but tech and adult right right and this is kind of you know i've always i've always kept you in in the part of my mind of like it's not a lot of people who really traveled the similar path that i have um in terms of you know industries you know um when I look back, I don't have a lot of points of relation. You know, um, when I when I had my first big adult company, Terravision, uh, which was a studio that I owned with my ex-wife, Tara Patrick, 
I brought Dave Navarro to like, he was really excited and passionate about um, porn, Dave, you know? So he directed some movies with us and, you know, we, it was great just to connect the dots, you know? And I remember, you know, in the mid, in the mid 2000s, I remember um, when I was actually, you know, having award winning, like, best-selling movies and making a lot of money. Um, Snoop Dogg, you know, did a video with Hustler uh, that he wasn't like performing sexually in, but, you know, girls were having sex all around him and he was there. And it was kind of cool. And you know what, you, Mike, what you and I see, and probably something you've said to lots of people over the years, um, is that very often when it comes to technology or social media, adult leads the way in- They always have, yeah. And why do you think that is? Because I, I know why I think it is. Why do you think that is? You know, I think first and foremost, the adult industry was always about, we got to make money. What, you know, whatever content we got, we forget about today where you got tube sites which give it all away for free. Prior to that, it was, I'm going to make this content, but you got to pay for it. And how can I sell it to you? And the internet really opened that up back in the mid nineties as a way for people, just like VHS tapes made adult movies comfortable to watch at home. The internet made it even easier for people to acquire that. But but you don't, you don't, as a content creator, just like a musician, you don't want to give it away. Maybe some of it, you tease a little bit, but you want to sell it. And the adult industry has always been about, man, I need a tool to monetize this. Boy, let me invent credit card processing on the internet. Didn't exist before the adult business. No. Let me invent video on demand didn't exist before the adult industry. Keep going. Pain per minute. I just want to watch a clip. I don't want to watch the whole show. Let me, oh, I want to talk to my favorite performer. Interactivity. One-on-one -on -one online. Wow, I can do that through a, chat, a video chat site, which the adult world was doing decades ago. Yes, so they've always been sort of at the forefront of going, how can I, this technology should work. I've got to invent the way to make it work. And they yeah. do that. You know, it's so true, Mike. That was so profound what you just said. Um, and I always attribute it also to what, what you said first, that it was about making money. Because when I got into the music business, which I find to be an oxymoron, it's funny that you call it that. Because when you think about, man, I really want to make some money. Better make some music. Music is pretty much free. You know, I remember my fans even trying to shame and guilt me for not jumping on board and saying, yay, Napster and music downloading is a good thing. All those records you used to buy for me that you're now stealing, I support yep. you in that. I was pretty outspoken not like going out of my way, but when I was asked about it, I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? How do I feel about it? I go, people are stealing 
our art that we spent time and money and energy to create. And I go, this is like, this is like we have a, we have an art gallery that we own a store and we make paintings and we hang them on the walls. And you guys broke in in the middle of the night, took pictures of all of our art and put it on the internet for free. And now nobody's buying our art. I go, if you say you're a fan of the band, you should want to support the band. Our album is fucking $9. We, we get fucking 15 cents out of that. You spend $9 on your coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, well, in L.A. we do. Yeah. yeah. In L.A., I got a place where I get like a $15 fucking latte. Yeah. <laughs> fucking stand in line for it. But, but yeah, yeah, you know, as, as, as artists, it's always within the artist's right to decide what to do with their creation. You can decide to give it away. You can decide to sell it. The customer doesn't decide whether you get to give it away or whether you get to sell it. That's, that's what flipped, not just the music industry, but all digital technology industries head over heels is all of a sudden the customer was deciding no, I, I want you to give away your book you just wrote for free. I want you to give away your movie that you just spent 12 months filming. Give that oh, away. Your album, they, I want it for free. You spent $30 million on that movie. Too. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, listen, you can fight it, right? So you can feel how you feel. and You can fight, you know, piracy and you can fight things like that. But the truth is you, you really don't, you're not going to stop that type of human behavior where people, they've grown a a piece of entitlement to it. Like, yeah, I don't, I mean, now look at how it's changed. Most people have a music subscription of some kind. They have a Spotify, they have an Apple music, you know, they have whatever they have. Um, And it's funny because those things didn't exist. But the, the, the thing I was talking about, about the adult business leading the way with technology, Mike, is that I, I attribute everything you said as foundational why, right? But here's the, the, the reason that I think even more so, right? It's that it's the entertainment business, right? It's a big part of the entertainment business. As a matter of fact, porn is probably bigger than television or movies if you really looked at it in terms of how much is being ingested during the course of a day, you know, might be just as big as music. Who knows in terms of that? I mean, you know, uh, you know, one of my, one of my partner's websites has 150 million unique visitors per day. And one of my best friends has a site that has 200 million unique visitors per day. So what does that mean? The reason I think it leads the way is because in the music business, if you wanted to do something with a big artist, right, you need to get the artist, their management, their label, their lawyers, their, their handlers, their camp on board. And then you need to struggle through their exclusivities and their legalities and do they want to take a chance? And why should I be the first person to do this? People aren't looking in music and television and these are like corporate things that are layered and layered and layered. And if I asked, you know, if you were, let's pretend something different here. Jay, 
you're an A&R guy at, um, I don't know, Interscope Records. And Mike, you're an executive at, I'll give you a big position. You're, you're even a fucking C-level executive at Spotify. And I came to either of you guys with a brand new idea outside of the fucking box. Um, Jay, Interscope, I want to make a deal with you guys where Interscope signs FutureStream, our live streaming platform, to the label as an artist. As not an artist, a new genre. We're a platform. And I want you to give us $50 million because we're going to sign the biggest artist in the world and you guys will share the profit with us in the back end. You might think it's the fucking greatest idea in the world. Why should we just keep signing artists that are like a fish? Signing Evan would be like a fishing pole. He's going to bring in, look, he already, they already worked with the baby and they're working with these DJs. And they're, you know, and, and we know that he's friends with Skrillex. Maybe they're going to get, you know, and we know that maybe he's going to be able to bring Slayer. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't just be like, you know what, Evan? I love that idea. Let's do it. You got to go to your fucking, your, your board meeting. You got to go to your A&R meeting. CFO, business development, all, all the top brass. Yeah, you can't just on and, the fly say, and yeah. I'm you have to convince them why, if this falls flat on its ass, they shouldn't fire you. Yeah. And I watched this my whole life. Listen, nobody wanted to sign Biohazard. And I mean, nobody. We were selling out Lemoore's in Brooklyn, which was like 1,500 people, and national acts that had fucking gold records would come there and bring in 100, 200 people. We were playing at the Ritz in fucking New York City, 3,000 people, mosh pit, front to back. And I literally walked into fucking offices, combat records, uh, um, relativity, like small labels, Roadrunner. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this should be a fucking layup. They didn't know what they were looking at. They were like, hold on a second. Everybody in this band doesn't have long hair. And you didn't fit a mold. You guys, your audience is scary. They're like a gang. It looks like the Warriors out there. We, are, we don't really know what we're seeing. We're going to just sit on our hands and we're going to let this develop. Because we're afraid, I mean, this is the part nobody would say, we're afraid that if we sign you guys and it's a failure that it's going to reflect on our personal decision. Yeah. So that's why most of the music A&R people are fucking pussies and very rarely take chance. The A&R process now, and fuck, one of my friends is the president of Rock Nation. He's in my fantasy football league. Hi, my love. Is this for me? Could you come say hello? You guys, my <laughs> wife is too good looking to say hello to you guys. <laughs> well, she did bring me clearly. A she clearly. Did, yeah, she did bring me a, an espresso latte oh, that man. we're sponsored by, so I am forced to mention delicious espresso. I'm kind of like Ricky Bobby. You got to do it. You're going to thank Taco Bell. Well, I, well I, you're I, sipping. As, as I would as I would say, you're like Gene Simmons. All you're doing is plugging. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm really. I'm not plugging. I'm talking about the adult business and why it moves so quickly. It's be, the the answer. What I'm getting at now that I have coffee is when you want to make a deal with somebody for 
a big adult company, you go talk to Larry Flint and you say, Larry, you're the president of one person, CEO of Hustler. Or you would talk to Michael Klein, who was the president of Hustler for 12 years, who now is the president of my company. How that works, right? Um, Michael Klein built Hustler TV for Larry. Larry said, I want to build a, a TV network, and he did. He didn't have to check with anybody. There was no, they didn't have to raise money from some yep. <clears throat> angel fund. People in the yeah. adult business do just act autonomously and make a decision and try things. And I right. think it's about that. It's about being willing to say, hey, maybe we can, maybe there is something to this live streaming thing. Yeah. Um, Michael, you'll be interested to know that one of, you know, and I don't know who's going to know what this is, but you'll love this. One of my partners, uh, so my company that we'll get to talk about later that I own is called Create Media, and I have several partners. And one of my partners is the guys who own the biggest webcam site in the world, Streammate. You know, and this is, this is the, you know, I don't want to talk about their business. They're the most successful webcam company in the world. They're the guys who refined this technology that allows people to live stream and not only created a business, but created an industry, you know? Right. That, that sector of the adult business is grows like this every single day. And that's why when people go, I don't understand how Pornhub and X videos and these tube sites are in business. What's the business model? Yeah. I'm like, really? You don't see it? You don't look at it and see what you're seeing? Yeah. yeah. You, 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 got, you, got, you got to see the business. You know, take, take, take away, strip away if, if it in any way bothers you. Strip away the adult content you're seeing. Just look at the technology 100%. And, the business, and business model. And can and you look pick at the that, traffic. Can you pick that up and can you drop a rap star on there? Can you drop, as you said, a poet on there? Could you drop an artist in there? Why yes. wouldn't an artist want to use that technology to make the same type of money? Yeah, people get I, hung up on that, right? They get hung up on just that adult thing. But when I, I talk nobody, to web developers and site developers and app yeah. developers, a lot of the technology that they're using came from that, to your point, Michael. But what I really want to make sure we cover uh, with, with Evan is like things like, have you been following kind of what's happening with OnlyFans, which of course comes from adult, right? And now the music industry is discovering it like it's, you know, the new silver bullet, but it, it's a point, point, yeah, right? Absolutely. This is, listen, I spend, you know, uh, here, I'll fast forward my life story and let's talk about this, okay? Um, I was in music. I ended up getting into the adult business incidentally because uh, one of the actors on HBO's Oz and my A&R guy from Roadrunner, who didn't sign me when I was new, waited until after we signed the Warner Brothers and took a, a freebie independent record. He and I were big fans of the show Oz. His wife was a lawyer who represented all these big actors who all have Oscars now, J.K. Simmons, Chris Maloney, B.D. Wong, like the stars of that show. And it turned out Ryan O'Reilly from the show, Dean Winters, who's the mayhem guy from Allstate commercial, yeah, yeah, yeah. was a huge metal fan. And he came to my show and brought me to the set the next day. 
We played at the Hammerstein Ballroom with Insane Clown Posse. And the next day he brought me to the Oz set. And two days later, I was on the show. And through the show, I met my ex-wife, Tara Patrick, who was a porn star. And I ended up getting into the adult business. Now, Mike, it was so interesting because in the music business, if I wanted to do something, I had to check with my bandmates. I had to ask my manager. My manager had to ask his bosses. Maybe the label. The lawyer. The label, the lawyer, our agent. Everybody had something to say. The label? Fuck, we were signed to Warner Brothers. You know what, fuck, what, a, what a cluster fuck that was? Hey, we want to move our album release. Hey, we want to change our album cover. Hey, we want to change the title. Of, oh, my God. It, was, it affected thousands of people. The answer was always no. But when I got into the adult business, I was like, okay, I'm the boss of my own company. It's what Mike said. I'm going to create content, and I'm going to distribute in every medium possible, in every territory possible, to as many people as possible. I'm going to create as many strategic partnerships as possible. Mike used to run a digital online store that I used to sell my content in. And I would make deals with people who could help me further monetize this content. I didn't have to check with anybody. If it sounded like a good idea, I would try it. And if somebody came to me with a crazy idea, I said, hey, I have this idea. You have this website. We could give you guys a link to these live cams that you don't even have to manage this, but you'll make money from every person that clicks through and has a great experience and talks live with these people. And it was really interesting. So um, I'm going to fast forward because I want to talk about OnlyFans because it's a cultural phenomenon. Well, and, and, and Evan, before we get there, we Jay does have to run in about two minutes because he's got a, another call. So I want to throw this out to you. We let's have you back and let's do like a good hour long conversation here because Jay and I have been going back and forth on text going, this is fascinating. This is, this is great. I mean, your stories are amazing and I don't want to pigeonhole you right. into the 30 God, minutes. You can do this again tomorrow, the next day. That would be awesome. We, we yeah. will, we will get back don't, to don't you. This until you have it all. Um, Let's use this as a teaser. I'm going to use this as the teaser because this was just good conversation about the industry and about the adult industry. Okay, whatever you want to do, it's your show. But, but we're, I, we're, we're going to bring you back. I will follow up when we're done here, get you scheduled for another hour. Well, let me and, just plug this one thing. Yes, one more Please. plug. Okay. So my company that I own, Create Media, that I'm a partner in, um, is a partnership between myself um, and... Uh, a company that owns Inked Magazine, which is 40 million sure. tattoo fans on social media, yep. and the largest webcam company in the world that leads with technology and credit card processing. And we build what are called premium social networks. Our main site is called ismygirl.com. We have tens of thousands of models and millions of users. And we are in a category that I call premium social media that a lot of people call fan platforms that is exploding, not just on our site, but even bigger with the advent and the mainstream crossover of OnlyFans having people like Cardi B and Bella Thorne creating profiles and making millions of dollars following this business model of connecting stars and talent directly with their fans and giving them monetization and we're going to talk more about this next time. It's too I big. promise. Yes, yeah. this is a great. I'm fascinated by all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, fantastic, e e Evan. Evan. Thank you so much, man. This was great catching up. I love. I love where your head is at for all of this. 
Yeah, man. I just listen, man. I'm I'm a student of of you know entertainment, music, technology. You know, uh, you know me on my side. I'm connecting the dots between tech, human behavior, social media, porn, weed, hot girls. <laughs> Everything. Who's got a problem with any of that? <laughs> Come on. Check out ismygirl.com or you can follow me on Instagram. Or, or, or futurestream.tv. Yeah, and if you follow my Instagram at Evan Seinfeld, um, I, I'll be posting all the um, futurestream events or just go to futurestream.tv or I'm sure I'm Michael sent you some other links to check out. All right, we'll Got talk it. soon, man. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you so Great. much, Evan. Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Honest people, Evan's coming back. We're getting him back in probably a week or so here. What a great speaker. You can't squeeze him into one show. Come on. No. So much. I mean, honestly, so much stuff he can talk about from all of his experiences. I mean, you could oh do gosh. a whole show just on biohazard. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely want to get more into um, his, his current businesses that he's got. But, you know, just his insights of, of the adult industry and the music industry and stuff like that is just That's right. great. They've always gone hand in hand. Um, they've always had uh, some of the same technologies. And as you mentioned so eloquently, you know, a lot of the technologies that we're using in music and in other business have their roots in the adult industry. Yeah, I mean, the the most obvious one, the simple fact of paying online with your credit card, yeah, that was created by the adult industry back in the '90s. Yeah, some would argue even subscriptions in general. Subscript sub, the subscription model. I mean, subscribe to a website to get exclusive content. Yeah, um, you know, it's commonplace now. It's, it's common. You're hundred percent. It's commonplace everywhere, but. Those were the revenue streams that the adult industry created, you know, back paved in the, the 90s, way. paved the way. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it just took people to go, listen, it's not a bad thing that the adult industry is using it. I can take that credit card processing and guess what? Sell you music online. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, very great discussion. Great, great discussion. We are we are literally to be in the continued, process. right? To be to, to be continued for sure. <clears throat> we are we are working out another date to get them back, and we will do a good hour long conversation. Don't miss Evan. it. Don't miss it. So so worth it. Um, all right. So just a real quick shout out to our supporters and our sponsors. Thank you to Hypebot and Bands in Town. We greatly appreciate everything you do. And of course, our sponsors, uh, we want to thank Banzoogle and Disc Makers. You guys are great. Thank you so much for everything you do to support the show. If you are following us on YouTube, subscribe, pound that subscribe. I thought you were going to say pound that pound button. Pound that subscribe button. Um, <clears throat> Spotify, hit that follow button and iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review and a rating. I'd wish Spotify would get their act together and put a little more interactivity in there. We would love to get your reviews on Spotify. Why? Why not? Seems so foreign. It's, yeah, it just seems so Come obvious. Um, and uh, that's it. Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We're out of here. Till next week.